Hello, welcome to Hatchel. I'm Jordan Dowler Coltman. I'm joined by Elliot Tanti and Braden Dowler Coltman. Uh, I don't know if it's just because it's that time of the year, but we've been off for a few weeks. We're back. Um, it's already February. I think we did one show in January. So our apologies for that to our loyal listeners, of which there are probably four or five left. Um, but we appreciate you all the same. This is as much just group therapy as anything else, I think, at this point, isn't it, boys? <laughs> Um, nobody else is really joining us, but that's okay. We have some some conversations we want to have this week, three topics. Uh, and so why waste any time? Let's just get right to it. Here's topic one. We're going to have a conversation here in a second uh, that deals with uh, conversations around sexual violence. Um, please take care of yourself if this is not a conversation you are comfortable or ready to have or listen to. Uh, we respect that. Fast forward, skip past it. Um, but you, uh, this is something we, we feel is really important to talk about. Thanks. Okay, so we'll start with the um, the most difficult of our conversations today. I mean, who knows? Maybe one of the other conversations will turn out to be equally difficult, but on paper, they shouldn't be. Um, we have we have talked many times on this show about this story because we have been following it right from uh, the beginnings of it, although I shouldn't say the beginnings of it in truth because we as a collective nation didn't find out the truth about uh, this story until several years after it transpired because of a cover-up by Hockey Canada. Uh, we are, of course, talking about the events uh, that have taken place in London, Ontario over the past week or so uh, regarding the investigation and now... Um, charges being laid uh, concerning a 2018 alleged sexual assault uh, by members of a 2018 World Junior uh, hockey team for Hockey Canada, obviously, at a non-World Junior specific event. It was a golf tournament held by Hockey Canada where the alleged assault took place. Uh, We now know the five um, uh, individuals who have been charged. They were charged today. In London, Ontario, this being uh, February 5th, Monday, February 5th, four of them are currently active NHL players all on leave from their teams. We'll talk about that part in a second. The fifth of them, a former NHL player, um, their names, of course, now disclosed and clear uh, as charges have been laid. Alex Formanton, uh, formerly of the Ottawa Senators. Carter Hart of the Philadelphia Flyers, Michael McLeod of the New Jersey Devils, Cal Foote of the New Jersey Devils, and Dylan Dubé of the Calgary Flames. As I said, all of them took leaves of absences uh, earlier in the month from their teams, which was the beginning, uh, let's say, of the dominoes to fall. It became pretty clear pretty quickly that these weren't just normal um, leaves being granted by their teams, although Calgary interestingly, and we can discuss this if we wish to, uh, did make a comment on their statement that this was a uh, mental health leave, which I found to be an odd choice of words for the organization, considering you have to assume the organization knew the real meaning behind it. Uh, The other teams did not make such a stipulation. Um, Just again, because I think it's important that we're being as transparent and clear in the details of the story before we get into the conversation around it. All uh, All five, I should say, have been charged with one count of sexual assault. However, Michael McLeod is also facing an additional charge of sexual assault uh, that the London Police uh, Service confirmed at a press conference on Monday. Uh, The complainant, who is a woman referred to in all of the court filings simply as EM, um, met with some of the players at a downtown bar, allegedly, following following the uh, event I mentioned, the golf tournament. Uh, She has alleged in a civil lawsuit that she left the bar with one of those players had a consensual sexual interaction with him 
And that that individual then invited other players to that room uh, without EM's consent. And that is where the alleged assault took place. Uh, one has to assume again, based on what we're now understanding about these charges, that perhaps the first individual most likely being Michael McLeod. So that's what we know. What we don't know is exactly how this court, the, 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 this court case is going to play out. As I said, they were in court this morning. They will not be put in a position yet to plead guilty or innocent. That could take months because now it's simply the point where the defense gets to see the evidence um, that has been presented by Crown Counsel. And over the next couple of months, they will have an opportunity to go through all of that disclosure uh, and prepare their clients for their defense. Uh, and then we will assume, from the sounds of it, um, April, May is going to be kind of the window when this um, that we will next see these individuals in court again to place those um, pleas. And then this could be several years. This could be uh, in, in Canada. Currently, these types of trials can take up to two years to actually commence, which is a very long time. Uh, I think just objectively, if I do say so myself, uh, considering, especially considering the fact that uh, this individual has um, already had to suffer through uh, the re-traumatization of, of a case that was not, uh, you know, brought to charges two, what, four years ago now, five years ago now. Um, so I would assume that the courts will be uh, expeditious, is that the right word, um, in, in moving this case along. Let's get to the conversation around this uh, because I feel I've done as best I can to kind of outline the facts of it. It's been difficult to talk about this every single time we've had to talk about this, but um, but I think it's an important thing to talk about because it is certainly one of the biggest stories surrounding hockey. It was certainly a conversation Gary Bettman was not comfortable having at his press conference at the All-Star Game uh, this weekend. Elliot, I'll go to you first. Obviously, um, we've spoken at length about this case in the past. We don't really need to get into, I suppose, like the bigger picture part of it. But now that we now have these individuals, now that we've kind of seen the beginning steps of this process, um, how do you feel uh, as a hockey fan, as a, um, you know, a, a concerned citizen, someone who I think cares a lot about making sure that these types of crimes and these kinds of um, pervasive issues in our society are, are, are taken seriously and, and treated correctly. How do you feel about how this case is unfolding? I mean, it's difficult to know. I, I should start by saying I have no legal background. I'm not an expert in this. Um, we have talked about it at length and I've followed the case quite closely. Um, you know, I am, I, I guess, like I think most people, I have mixed feelings. I am uh, happy that uh, this individual is allegations have been taken seriously by the London police. Uh, I, an end of investigation has taken place. And the result of that investigation is that charges have been laid. At the same time, I am still cynical and skeptical of the situation. Uh, we know the data and stats as it relates to convictions of uh, sexual assaults uh, in North America, but even in Canada. Uh, and so you know, without knowing the details, there's the favorability is not high that there will be justice if it justice should be served. Um, but this is the process. The other thing I would say too, and, and this is very cynical and I appreciate it, but given everything that we've had to endure from Hockey Canada through this, um, you know, it doesn't feel like this was taken seriously until it become became a public relations issue. Um, and while I'm glad it's now being taken seriously and being investigated and has led to changes at Hockey Canada, so they say, uh, again, it's taken uh, some vigorous reporting 
uh, a group of people from across this country to stand up and say enough is enough. And, you know, a parliamentary committee to get involved uh, before we've had any meaningful action on this issue. And I think that in and of itself, from a societal standpoint, from Hockey Canada standpoint, and, you know, just for me personally, is very troubling. So that was addressed briefly in the press conference today with the London police, um, I guess, probably chief of police. I'm not sure if it's yeah, a it was the chief, of police. chief of police. Yeah. So chief of police, he did address the fact that he wasn't going to be able to comment on that because he was concerned at this time that obviously looking back at, and they have apparently conducted a full review of how the case was handled at the time. Um, but I think that there's probably information in how that case was handled that may end up being evidence in this case, which is why at this point, they're not going to disclose that. What I would say is I agree with you. And I think that it's very important that when the time comes, uh, and there will be a point where either this, you know, this court case will be resolved one way or the other. At said time, I think it's very important that this doesn't just disappear and that the London police uh, has an obligation to the public, specifically, obviously, they're, you know, taxpaying citizens of London, Ontario, to be able to come forward with a bit better explanation as to why this case was handled the way it was or wasn't. Because I think that that is, as you say, a big part of the story. Braden. So I watched the uh, the press conference today. The police, yeah. uh, London police, had their press conference to sort of relay some of the information, shed a little bit more light on the case. Obviously, they acknowledge that there's only so much they can do before you know, just to respect the the legal proceedings. But something that I don't think we've seen really in a case like this ever before is the police actually coming out saying we're not going to. Um, from from this point forward, we're not going to uh, refer to this person as the complainant. We're going to refer to this person as the victim. And the chief of police came out and uh, publicly stated the, uh, an apology to the victim in that they did not handle this uh, or they did not take it seriously at the time or the 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 efforts weren't um, um, uh, given necessarily to uh, what this case deserved. I think that that was sort of uh, uh, something we haven't seen before. And I, I hope that it continues to progress in that nature of uh, we need to, we need to make sure that we follow the, you know, a, a little bit more process or a little bit more effort uh, going into the next steps of it. Um, so, as Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, I just want to move us in a slightly different direction with this as, as, Elliot, I think, rightfully pointed out, none of us are lawyers. None of us have legal background. We're not going to sit here and discuss how this case is going to play out or any of those kind of things, because that's just not our expertise. And I don't think it's the right place or time for us to be trying to, you know, play play uh, lawyer. Um, but I do think that there are some other elements of this case that are, um, if not interesting, uh, complicated. And I think that one of them is, again, the relationship these individuals have to the teams they play for in the NHL, the NHL itself as an organization. We've kind of seen the um, the process that Hockey Canada has kind of had to go through in the last, you know, 18 to 20 months as this case became public. And obviously the fact that there was a cover up and there was a civil lawsuit that they had they had. Um, had, had tried to sort of pay this this victim off um so they've kind of been uh, at the the center point of that what we haven't yet had a conversation about is the role the nhl may or may not play in the bigger part of this investigation these are all their employees they're employees of franchises within the organ within the nhl system uh they are all as i say currently on leave from those teams still being paid by those teams presumably and that seems to be my understanding based on again the reporting of 
um, Pierre Lebrun and, and several other Canadian reporters when they had to no, ask and those questions Bettman and Bettman said it. Yeah. So, yeah. so interestingly, I guess the question I would have for you, Braden, is what responsibility do you think the NHL now has in terms of how they handle this? Obviously, their first course of action is going to try to just to be sit back and let the courts decide. There's very little precedent for this outside of the only things I can think of, honestly, are Michael Vick and maybe Danny Heatley. Um, most of these, you know, like in terms of active players um, Mm. being put on trial while still active players, you know, there's a difference between retired players and and we've had some sexual assault situations in the past, but this, this feels a bit different. This, the scope of this, and obviously the fact that we're having multiple accused and and presumably they may all go on trial at the same time. Well, Um, they, yeah. And hopefully they do because putting the victim on the stand. Exactly. So again, from the NHL side of it, it's really challenging. I mean, I, I mean, let's not sugarcoat it. It's a very tricky place for the NHL to be, obviously. A, yeah, yeah. But wh- wh- how do you think they have handled it so far? Again, I'm sure you watched part of or saw some of that press conference. But what do you expect or think that they they, they will be doing here, and how how should they be handling? Yeah, this? I mean, I don't like how Bettman handles anything, frankly. But I, I, I mean, he he explained similar to what the police had had, had discussed in their press conference is that. They have done their own investigation and and they have to kind of follow the the legal procedures here um, in terms of divulging their information. I think that they're probably going to sit pat until somebody starts to ask them to get involved. Um, I don't know exactly what they should be doing other than I think it's the most important uh, moment here for 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 hockey, for the culture of hockey. We've talked about this before. It's a very important case. These are very, uh, they're not just, they're not just hockey players that sort of, you know, people don't even know the names of. These are, these are major hockey players, major, um, major players in different franchises with a lot of, a lot of eyes on it. So it's going to be really important that, uh, that they, that they do the right thing, that they, that they, so, but what what do you think the right thing is? Well, how well, should the NHL be handling this right now? Is the what NHL they're should be cooperating the with right everything process? that the? I mean, I don't know what the processes are. I just I want to ensure I would want to ensure that they cooperate uh, fully with the investigation, sharing all of the information that they have, and then also acknowledging or or being held accountable for whatever information they you know they can share. Uh, about about the situations i guess my question is this like do you it and and maybe 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 i'm naive maybe i don't understand haven't experienced this certainly never worked for an organization or a company that had an individual put on trial like this but i would assume in a lot other workplaces you would not be receiving your full pay you would be either removed from the role you're in or like how does that usually how do you think that would usually work elliot is it right that they're still making nhl money currently being paid as nhl players while they're going through this legal procedure should they be suspended without pay like what are the processes you think would be appropriate given this also recognizing there are other implications we're not talking about as far as like salary cap the penalty for these teams the impact it has on how they operate day to day again do 
do we have some expectation that these teams either knew, should they have known if the NHL held this own, their own investigation, that, which apparently was conducted earlier. Yeah, but the NHL apparently said they wrapped up their investigation months ago. Did they withhold from these teams that these were the individuals that were in question here? Were these organizations aware? Should they have been made aware? Like it makes a lot of difference in terms of how they operate business. Sure. So I guess that's what I guess I'm asking, Elliot. What do you think the correct process here should be? Yeah, I mean, I, I work for organizations that have policies related to the charges and convictions of those charges. Uh, I would uh, I would like to think that a major employer like the NHL has similar policies, um, but they, I, I, as from what I've heard, that's not been discussed nor made public. Um, so what I believe is that in the event of a serious charge leveled against an employee, um, the right thing to do is for them to go on leave. <clears throat> Whether that's paid or not, I think is dependent on the employer. I would imagine that there are health impacts associated with that, which could justify a leave that could provide some amount of payment or all. Um, and I've certainly been in organizations that have provided uh, payment be for mental health leaves. And as Calgary had noted, it is a mental health leave uh, in the instance of at least one individual. And so uh, I'm not sure, you know, that that is sort of case specific and the impact on the person is specific. I don't think the person should be a representative of the organization while an ongoing, uh, in, uh, you know, trial is being held. And ultimately, you know, in the case of uh, the employer that I work for that had this policy in the event of a conviction, it was ultimately up to the um, leader of that organization to make a de decision around the, sever the severity of those charges and whether that person could keep their job or not. And I imagine that's probably consistent amongst organizations that have that type of policy. I think when you're talking about the severity of these charges and um, what is already an ongoing issue that we've been talking about quite a bit in hockey. I would feel as though in the event, and this is a hypothetical, a player was convicted of the charges that they should be barred from playing in the league and not cannot and should not be seen yeah. as a, yeah. that would be my position. I mean, um, so again, like what, what again, it's then you also, you, you do have to weigh, um, you know, the severity of those situations and the severity of the charges, right? Like, I I, I think, and, and that's a difficult conversation, a difficult question, and involves lawyers. But, I, you know, I'm just thinking this through from, like, this is a big policy brain. And in my mind, I think these charges, if they fall to convictions, is is it, it's a no-brainer. But um, I think what's more challenging is in the event that you have charges laid and a conviction isn't leveled, um, then that looks very different as well, too. I guess this is what I would say. Ottawa Senators player Shane Pinto, right? He was suspended this year for gambling. 41 yeah. games. Now, when yeah. he's suspended, he is not being paid. 41 games, right? That's half a season. This is an individual who is caught gambling. Yes. Now, I don't want to be the arbiter of what's right and wrong, but it feels to me like when we're dealing with someone who is on trial for rape, the standard should be a little bit higher than a mental health break somehow clearing all of this when we are suspending players for violating our gambling policy. But I there, think if, the, if the NHL does not have a policy, but the legal around, process is a little bit different in this. And, and the person, you know, there was, you know, in that situation, it was clearly determined that the gambling had occurred. Had happened. 
And I'm, yeah, I don't, and I don't want to go into. And that's not for me to suggest happened, that, that this, this hasn't taken place. Proven guilty. That's this is the tricky thing. But I think when you're thinking about it from a policy standpoint, it's one of the things that you have to consider. My sure. bigger problem with with the NHL as a whole is if you watched Gary Bettman's talk after being asked questions about this, his statement came out saying 99.9% yeah, of our players don't act this way. That's bullshit. Yeah. Like that alone should be justification. Well, we have four of them. 99.9% 99 doesn't count when you've got four of them on trial. I agree with you, Brayden. I think the whole thing was very contrite. I think that again, like when Gary Bettman is up in a corner, he gets very lawyer talky oh and it gets very, God. very disingenuous. And it's and it's it's very uncomfortable, right? Like the whole situation, they are not good at handling adverse PR. They have never been good at that. And this is certainly one that is continuing to test them. I think what again, like we said about the London Police Department, I would be very uh interested and how the NHL is going to now have to rectify the fact that their commissioner admitted that they had an extensive uh, investigation conducted that apparently was concluded prior to the London police department concluding their investigation. What did they know? When did they know it? And why was nothing done? Why were these players not suspended until further investigation by the police was concluded at that time? If they had enough suspicion to believe that they were now if you're telling me that investigation didn't reveal that information then i question the validity of the investigation there's a bunch of those pieces that i think are what yeah. are not probably going to be answered but are equally frustrating to the whole situation gary bettman kept saying in that press conference well it won't be an issue they're all free agents at the end of the year which to me sounds like we're just going to let this the clock run out on this so that we don't have to act, which again yeah. shows the cowardice as far as I'm concerned and the dereliction of responsibility that he has constantly shown and leadership of the NHL has constantly shown. Look back to the Chicago Blackhawks situation. Will it happen well, in the past? Yeah. That's an organizational issue. We don't need to worry about it. It's not yeah. a real problem. And they I don't, don't want to deal with it in the moment. And you I can't say hockey is for everyone if you're going to have those yeah, kinds of statements. You can't. And I don't disagree with you at all, Jordan, in anything that you just said there. But let's not also let the union off the hook here. And you know if the NHL act in a way that they found was inappropriate or too hasty in this type of a situation or the, the investigation was found to be in any way inconclusive, you know that there would have been a grievance filed and this becomes a labor issue as well yeah. too. So they're also negotiating that. Sure. Now, sure. that's not a justification for an action, but I'm yeah. telling you that, that, that you know we see this in other, in other um, you, we see this in other workforces all the time, particularly those with strong unions. And I do believe the NHL players union is a strong union sure, yeah, yeah. in that space. Um, but you see this in enforcement efforts. You see this in healthcare efforts. There is, there's also this union piece that I think they're also trying to negotiate and they, ha and they have to protect their teams. And if they find, uh, you know, they act in a way that is ultimately grieved and, and, um, uh, you know, it's the team that pays for that grievance. So I'm just saying there's also another, it's not like there, there's multiple actors here that they're trying to negotiate. It's not a justification for anything. I just think we need to keep, make sure we're keeping a 50 foot uh, lens, a thousand or 5,000, 50,000 foot view of this situation. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think again, it just goes back to the bigger conversation we've had multiple times on this show about where the, responsibility is in terms of how the league 
likes to, when convenient, hold itself and its players to a very high standard. They're in a position of, you know, they are role models. They're in all of these sort of, they like to, they like to tout their importance uh, in the culture, in, in, in society when it's convenient to them, but they completely disregard those same standards when it's inconvenient. And I think that's where the frustration part comes from. This is a great example, once again, of how the leadership in the NHL doesn't understand the actual issue, does not know how to properly address the issue. As Braden pointed out, like the, the language chosen, the way in which it's presented, because there's no way he didn't go into that press conference after having multiple meetings with his PR team around how to address it. Obviously he had a written statement that even then sounds hollow. Like they are bad at this and it's shocking and maybe it shouldn't be, but it's shocking that after multiple years of these stories continuing to happen, they are not moving forward. But we're not surprised. Way. We're we not surprised. Be. You're right. Because this, but this I has think it's still important. Times the NHL. It's important we know to what the continually NHL articulate it, though, because it's, if we allow them to just be bad at this without constantly being criticized for it, then they then they yeah. get what they want. They win every right. time. They'll pay off whoever they need to to keep it. Their their hot that's players, right. their stars right. under. This is a hockey issue. And what do we say in PR all the time? The worst crises, the worst scandals are the ones that confirm things people already think about you. Right. And this, this is a continuation of ongoing issue after ongoing issue after ongoing issue. Would you be surprised if there was another allegation next week about another player at another time in another situation? I wouldn't be. I no, not at all. No. no. Because again, as Braden pointed out, it's definitely not 99.9% of the NHL that is not part of this problem and this is a systemic problem in hockey it's a systemic problem which is what frankly was it's a systemic problem in our society exactly well it like, shows the ignorance they to the said, whole situation. yeah yeah i mean they don't want to yeah they don't want to admit that but it's so crazy. um i just want to say thanks for both of you for having this conversation i think it's really important thank you to our listeners for letting us have these conversations really importantly um, before we wrap up this topic, if you or anyone you know has been the victim of sexual violence, there is help for you. I'm going to give you two numbers because we're based in Alberta and BC. I'm going to give you those numbers first. But if you are outside of those provinces, just call 911. You need to seek help if you are ready and comfortable seeking help. There is help there for you. And as a society, especially as men, we need to do a better job of supporting uh, women who are predominantly the victims of these crimes, not exclusively. There are many men who are the victims of sexual violence, and that's important to also state. But as men, we need to have these conversations. We need to make sure that we are not letting these things become um, something that we are uncomfortable talking about the way the NHL seems to be. In Alberta, the number for you is one 403 8,000. That's Alberta's one line for sexual violence. If you're in British Columbia, it's the victim link BC. The number is 1-800-563-0808. And again, if you're outside of Alberta or British Columbia, there are numbers for you. There are resources there for you, but at the very least call 911, seek help. Um, you should be believed, you should be heard, and you should be supported. We should not be dealing with these kind of situations multiple years later. That's topic one. Hey, football fans, the Ordinary Podcasting Network is very excited to welcome back for its second season, Running Down the Clock, presented by Puya Ricey and Tyler Walzak. These two football fans will sit down with you every Thursday of the NFL schedule to talk football. You can subscribe to Running Down the Clock anywhere you get your podcast. 
Topic two. So this is the challenge we have on this show. Sometimes we get into the really difficult stuff and then we pivot. Um, but we're gonna try. We're gonna try this pivot. Let's see how well it sticks. Um, pivot. We mentioned. We mentioned in the previous topic that obviously Gary Bettman spoke to the media at NHL All Star Weekend, which took place in Toronto. This is actually another topic we have had multiple conversations on on this show because it happens yearly or seems. We to. love this shit. Um, really quickly before we do. Um, I think it's just important to 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 get out of the way that like this is, you know, this is we're going to talk about like what's exciting and fun about the NHL or maybe not, but we're going to talk about hockey for a second. So again, recognizing that there are other parts of the NHL All Star Weekend that were, as we said, part of that previous conversation. But we're going to try this pivot. All Star Weekend happened in uh, Toronto, so obviously the past couple of years it's been in like hot climates, right? It's been like oh, here's the mid NHL season break. And the guys were all complaining last year when they found that they're going to Toronto. But here's the only here's the only thing I want to start with. Toronto is like it is one of the best hockey markets when you if you're going to try to make a hockey hockey event. Toronto is one of those places, you know, you're going to have fans, you're guaranteed all those things so you can try things. And that is what I think the NHL did and why they waited to do it here as opposed to last year, like Florida or wherever they were. They've been trying the last few years, try different things. Okay. So here's the thing. Let's, let's acknowledge for what, like five or six years, they've done this three on three tournament, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've been pretty honest about the fact that we, it hasn't really been working. Um, They, you know, it just, it it's not very good, but the part of the NHL weekend, I think that has been the weakest and worst for the longest time is the skills competition, right? You look at other NH, you look at other sports, I should say. And a lot of those sports have struggled when they've taken their elite athletes and made them do something other than what they're actually elite at, right? Look at the NFL and how they've kind of turned the pro bowl into a bit of a circus. Um, It's kind of a made for TV something, but they don't quite know what it is. And they've kind of gone through these growing pains in previous years. I think last year, we are very critical of how the skills competition has just completely been. um, I don't know what the right term is just sort of like, like, like stripped for parts and, they had these gimmicky things like shooting pucks at surfboards because we were in South Florida the previous year in Vegas, you know, they were out there on the Bellagio fountain. It just felt very gimmicky. Interestingly, uh, the NHL seemed to uh, hear that and decided that they would bring together a small group of players to have a conversation in the off season around how to revamp this and how to make it more something that the players could buy into. Cause they identified that the biggest challenge was the players don't buy into it. It's really hard to get fans involved. One of those players happened to be Connor McDavid. And he went back to saying, we have to go back to what the point of this was, which was to demonstrate the skills necessary to play the game that the fans love. I would like to make the argument. I think the NHL did that. What we saw was this revamped skills competition where you did not have all 40 players who were there. You had a select group of, I think, about 13, 12, 13 of them out there that were committed to being there. They had to participate in I think all but one of those. Okay, one player was oh, no, talk, talk about talk about Kucherov in a second. Screwed the pooch. But but for the most part, they had an incentive to be there because they were going to participate in multiple skills. They were allowed to opt out. I think of two of the six that they had to compete in before it was cut down to to um, different levels. Uh, different, you know, eight got through, then four got through, kind of thing. But what was interesting about it was that it meant you were going to see some athletes compete in skills we've never seen them compete in before uh, because they, in the old system, there just wasn't space. You had to get all the other all-stars to have a thing. In the old days, Connor would skate the fastest thing at the top of the day, and we wouldn't see Connor McDavid again until maybe the last skill of the thing. So now you have the best players in the world, some of the most 
exciting and, and competitive players out there doing something that actually resembled the skills necessary to play the sport. Yes, some of it looked like it was perfectly built for Connor McDavid to succeed at while the other guy struggled with it. That was kind of funny and entertaining considering we knew he was in there. But for me, it's the first time in as far as I can remember that I actually saw a product that was interesting, held my attention, and I actually felt like there were stakes in it. Now, huge stakes? No. Some guy won a million bucks. Probably going to donate it to charity. That's fine. But at the end of the day, for me as a fan, I was much more compelled by watching these players go into each of these skills, knowing where they were on the leaderboard. How many points does he need to jump back into first place? Oh, he's a, just on that cut line. He might not make the top eight. Oh, this guy I, I cheer for because he's on my team might not make the top four. How's he going to turn it around? All of those things made it compelling, made it exciting, made it interesting. Me, I'm buying stock in that. I think that they fixed the skills competition. Braden, tell me I'm wrong. Okay. You're not wrong. I, I loved this skills comp this year. I thought it was a lot of fun. I liked the format. I liked getting to see multiple players or the same players in multiple events. I thought the events were exciting, did show off a lot of the new or a lot of the skills that we don't usually get to see. Some of the like passing challenges are hit and miss. I think this one was challenging, uh, but a lot of fun. Um, as for like, it was it was it determined that Connor was going to win most of these? Like I don't think so. I think there was a high chance that a lot of these players, you know, Kale McCarr is a really fast skater. Kale McCarr can do, you know, he can he can shoot, he can pass, he can dress. All all the guys involved, I thought, were the top of the top when it came to the skills. The biggest thing I had a problem with was not the skills competition, which I know we're talking about. It actually had to do with the draft that they did the day before. I don't know if we want to talk about this. No, no, no. I will talk about this after. We're going to come back to this. All right. Just because I I love the skills. I thought it was a lot of fun. I like the new format of it. I think that they also, like like you said, I think that they've got something really fun and exciting here for it. Elliot. Yeah, I think the best thing, the thing that I enjoyed the most was that they it was on replay all weekend. So you could... (laughs) Watch it if you missed it. And yep. I think they've done that before in the past, but me and it's just been boring. So I haven't watched it, but I I missed it the night of because, you know, I do things. And um, the next day, you know, I was in the afternoon. I was, you know, just hanging out at home, put it on. I was like, oh, I can watch this again. I had no idea who had won and I knew it had happened. And uh, yeah, it was captivating. It was good. I think what it did, I think what it did was it demonstrated what I think a skills competition should do which is to show how well-rounded and how good these guys are and how skilled they are. I mean, those nets that they're throwing those little passes into and they're doing it like uh, the saucer passes over top, like that's that's an insane skill. And uh, to see the best players in the the league, like hit it on sometimes three out of three, like, you know, um, maybe missing one and still doing it and how fast some of them did it. Like, it was really interesting. Good to see. I like the relay function of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. It, it, it demonstrates just how talented the most talented players are and what it takes to be, uh, you know, an exceptional uh, a professional athlete. And so, yeah, it, it hit, it hit all the marks for me. Uh, it was awesome to see what things people were good at versus not. Uh, I still think they need to clear up some of the rules. The backwards skating one, I think they, you know, there was some cheating going on there. I'd like to see them sort of refine it. But if they get this to like a solid, I don't know however many events it is, but 10 or 12 events, you know, guys are going to work on this heading into mm-hmm. the weekend. It's and- interesting. It's interesting to say the cheating thing, because it, honestly, I would have known they were cheating if 
Glenn Healy wasn't talking about them cheating. Like, I don't think hey, that first they needed... off, Braden. First off, Glenn Healy oh, has sorry. not worked for CBC or Sportsnet in like <laughs> Wait, a decade. I love the deep cut. <laughs> well, who was it? Craig Simpson. No, former... no, no. Yes, no, it was Chris Cuthbert Chris is the play-by-play, oh. and Craig oh, Simpson right, was the right. analyst. Stick with me. Stick with me. Wow, that was a very. That's like you just like reached <laughs> into the like analyst of... Cole. <laughs> Gosh. Anyway, sorry. I don't mean to. That was that was great. What a deep my cut. My point being, my point being, did they really need to bring up that somebody's cheating in the Glenn Hall would have hated this. He would have hated this. <laughs> uh, I agree with you though, Braden. They didn't need to point out sort of all of the flaws in it. And also, I don't mean to be like uh, the old guys still got it, poo pooer, but like Chris Cuthbert struggled multiple times. He referred to, you know, the, the players on certain teams as being playing for the Maple Leafs, even though they weren't. They may have been playing on Matthew's team, but it wasn't the Maple Leafs. Uh, and, and occasionally forgot the names of specific players m- multiple times, actually. So the poor, you know, it's a difficult event. Well, let's just put Glenn it that Healy way. Should have been there. Yeah, maybe. Um, let's talk about this draft. So this is, uh, this happened the day before. Ellie, did you watch this on replay too? Did you watch the draft back? So no. this is not the first time, obviously, the NHL has done a player's draft. It's not the first time we've seen it in all-star games. I know the NBA has done it in previous years too. It's it's designed to be kind of a, a fun way to mix up the players that they're not all just playing on divisions, which we've seen in the last few versions of this. And then uh, I think this is this is the first time they've done a draft in the three three on three format. They, they previously did this when they used to play a full seven on seven or a six on Six. How many players are on the field? Twelve on twelve. Five on five. Jeez, Jordan. Six on six. uh, Nice game. Yeah, yeah. Um, in previous years when they had two two teams, uh, they did this. Uh, But this is the first time we've seen it with three on three formats. You ended up with four teams. Give us give us your review. Why why did it not work for you, Brad? It was just honestly, it was just the production. It was just bad TV. Like, uh, oh god, it's really bad TV. Okay, so the whole reason they wanted to do something like this, it has been incredibly successful in the NBA. They had a pretty fun one the first time that they initiated. Yes, where Phil Kessel in a car. Yeah, the challenge being they didn't, you know, they didn't want to, they didn't want to have somebody be the last pick, so they did something weird with that as well in this this year yes, the, the bigger the problem i had the bigger problem i had with it like the, okay so the reason was they wanted to encourage the, uh, the audience to see more personality from the players mm. so they mic'd the guys now yes. the mic that's great it's live you're in the arena the production of it though so they've got all of the players the captains and their celebrity guys uh it was bieber tate mccray Michael Will Bublé Arnett and Michael Bublé. and Will Arnett, right? Yeah. So you know, fun, engaging guys. First and foremost, Justin Bieber's just sitting there, like he doesn't. Well, even he has Braden to be fair, he has Lyme disease, so he's just sitting there, like he doesn't want to be there. No, he he's sitting there because he's in a lot of pain. But yeah, <laughs> he's struggling with a pretty debilitating illness. People were actually very impressed. He made it through all four days. Frankly, Kate McRae didn't seem to know who anybody was. No. She was not as charismatic as Will the others. Will Arnett didn't really know Will Arnett, what, I thought what was to high. say. And then, it's, and then we found out Michael Buble was high. Was actually high. <laughs> My bigger problem, though, was that the hosts were behind all yeah, of these no. guys. So anytime Dude, that they were conversating, brutal. they were brutal. talking away from the camera. Yeah. They The mics were on the whole time. So yeah, we get to was, hear who they want to pick and what they want to pick. There was yeah. no... It was really not only that, not only that, but I also think that there was a ridiculous structural flaw in that they allowed it to play out in such a way where they basically were 
in commercial breaks, making deals with each other to make sure that all the Canucks were on one team and all the Leafs were on the other team. And it was like, there was no actual competitive angle to it. Where like, where was the, Hey, we're going to take a player. We know that team wants none of that was happening, which I thought was ridiculous. And actually it, it, it just lodged dislodged for me. Another, my, my one main complaint from the skills competition, there was also this weird thing where they had the players pick the goalie they wanted to shoot on, but they'd already kind of predetermined that they were going to make sure that neither of the two players that were out there that had their team's goalie out there had to shoot against them because they thought that that would be unfair. So you had, you know, That's Demko silly. out there with two, you know, yeah. two Canucks out there and neither of the Canucks made sure they were going to shoot against some Kale McCarr and McKenna. They made sure that he wouldn't have to shoot on Gorgiev, which to me was just stupid. It's like, yes. that's what we were watching for. We wanted that drama. We wanted Pedersen to call Demko because he knows his weakness from practice or whatever. Like that makes good yeah. TV, but they yeah. kind of set it up in such a way like the gentleman's deal. Nah, that doesn't I, work for I, me. I guess all to, say, all to say, I didn't, I didn't find that it was Draft. successful in no. what they were looking for. They wanted to see the players' personalities, and you know, no. you bear, most of these guys are like, "No, you pick. No, you pick." You know what would have made better pick. TV? Do you want honestly? What I think would have made better TV? Yeah, the draft yeah. happens off camera. The names are just announced, and you have. 15, 20 minutes of the TSN or ESPN panel debating why these players picked the players they picked. I don't need sure, the actual sure. players there. Yeah, sure. There are a bunch of cardboard cutouts for me at that point from, um, from a production standpoint. I would much rather have Kevin Bieksa going, oh my God, can you believe that Pedersen didn't, you know, that these guys didn't pick Demko or whatever. Like that would have made better TV. Or frankly, just what one did. player so that they're not having to converse with one another. Or what do you think? What do you think? Yeah, I, just I, want, I just want, I just you know, want, the competition would be so I just don't want them to do this drop. I think it's dumb. Like I also think the fan votes. Half the teams are just divisional anyway because you're just taking your teammates. So like, for me, I'm like, you know what? I would much, I'm much more interested in seeing Pedersen on Drysital and McDavid's uh, win than like you know whatever happened and 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 some drama around who gets drafted when they're all going to just draft their their teammates anyway. Like just just do it. Like and 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 actually make it a thing about like you know which which division one like that's okay. actually fun because there's no and that's team. fun and they've done that for multiple years and i get i i understand that i think they're just tr- they're looking to mix it up i think the players would prefer to mix it up because i think there's also something about like i think that Connor mcdavid was sick of having to pretend he was friends with drew dowdy like i think there are some situations there where they would rather pick the guys they want to play with but here's the thing i would say because you just made me think of this too i, f- I think we can fix this right now take the players out of the equation have will arnett Michael Bublé, Justin yeah, sure. Bieber, and Just Tate McRae pick the teams, Fan. like fantasy yeah. teams. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yeah. is way better TV yeah, totally. than having the players who have all of these, these other agendas there. Screw that. Let them pick. Let them. Connor be the first pick. Yeah, there you sure. go. For I sure. think that's way more fun. Yeah. Anyway, we don't have to talk about the actual game itself because, uh, it, you know, at the end of the day, it was still a three on three tournament. I thought it was fine over time. And well, and both of the two preliminary games went to shootouts, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, so at least they were competitive. The players certainly came to play. But um, anyway, I personally think they took a huge step forward from what they were previously doing. The skills competition alone made Saturday or Friday, I guess it was like the first day of the two of them watchable. You go to the NBA and their all-star game, their skills competition is basically three things. It's the it's the dunk competition, the three point shootout, and some weird like like uh, the obstacle course. Those yeah. are the three core things for the NHL. There are three core things you never touch and you never fuddle with: fastest skater, hardest shot, and accuracy. 
whatever you do around those, you can be creative with. And as I think we pointed out one or two of them probably still need some tinkering. You know, like the passing thing got kind of like, it, yeah. it wasn't quite like, right. it was better hard. with it. But for the most part, I thought what they added was, as Elliot said, like demonstrating the best players in the world actually playing great hockey. I would love to, you know, a sideshow. I would love to see the NBA take a page out of the NHL for once in this. The one-on-one was really fun to watch. And one-on-one basketball would be, that would be good. awesome. But again, the players have to buy in because a lot of those players don't want to be made to look a fool. Well, what I really that, like about this comes. is that when you have multiple skills on display, it makes it easier to kind of hide behind one or two bad skills right if you were only going out there for one of them and you had a bad day you i mean we didn't talk about kucherov but like kucherov either didn't care didn't want to be there or knew really quickly it wasn't going to be his day and just didn't give a shit but the fans booed him they announced tampa and toronto i get that but also like they wanted him to put an effort in and when he didn't they gave him a hard time and i appreciated that because the other guys actually did put an effort in and i think that that's something we haven't seen in previous years all is right. this the last time we see Connor do the fastest skater? Like he's done. Well, not he's in won. this format, not in this format. Cause he's only going to, he can only avoid one skill, right? He's only see, allowed to opt out of one and he'd rather opt out of the hardest shot. He's got a better chance I of getting points, <laughs> but that's what the point of it is, right? It keeps them wanting to participate. Anyway, let's leave it there. That's topic two. Hey, podcast listeners, my name is Larise Campbell, and along with my co-host, former Olympic bobsledder, Alicia Olson, I am so excited to introduce you to the Mother Pucker podcast, and if you love the Oilers like we do, you are going to love our show. It's just two gals who aren't afraid to drop the gloves and throw some hot takes about the boys in blue and orange. Whether you're a massive hockey fan like us, or just looking for some new voices talking about the Oilers' blue line, or lack thereof, we promise the show is for you. So subscribe now and tell your friends. It's time for the Mother Pucker Podcast. Okay, topic three this week is the sports. Tour d'horizon. You were kind of slow on the trigger on that one. Let's try it again, Braden. The sports. Tour d'horizon. Tour d'horizon. Tour d'horizon. Could you give me a definition of this new title we've given this segment, Braden? Say nude title? You can give it to me nude if you prefer. It's an auditory... uh, Right, podcast they can't see you all right top, oh. terps off boys terps optional a broad general survey or summary of an argument or event all right so a tour d'horizon tour tour d'horizon wow i've always struggled with speaking de france yeah i get it the sports tour d'horizon basically it's going to be like a roundup of uh all the other sports stories we didn't really have time to talk about this podcast is already going along but we haven't talked in like a month so it's a bonusly long bonusly long that's not english neither is tori dorizo um Tour all right this whole topic will now be conducted in french okay we, so basically here's how this works i have compiled a list of a few other stories from around the sports world that i think uh d- deserve at least a moment of reflection um we will do this in a quick and efficient manner to sort of move through um, some things. I'll try to tee it up in such a way that, you know, asks a question at least so that you have a, a, a pivot point. The key piece of storytelling for our listening audience is that Elliot and Braden are not aware of the stories that I'm going to talk about. So they are reacting in real time to this tour d'horizon of sports. All right. Tour first d'horizon. up, 
Yeah, that's enough with the sound machine. We get the idea. Okay, here is the first one. Uh, we'll stay on topic with the NHL to begin with. It was announced also with that dreadful press conference that Bettman conducted uh, at the All-Star game that we will see the NHL return its players to the Olympics for the next two uh, Olympic Winter Games. Um, thoughts on that first, Elliot? Were you excited to hear this news? Indifferent, or do you think that it's about damn time? Uh, yeah, it's about damn time. I, I'm. It's so disappointing. We're never ever going to see um, uh, Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby on an Olympic team playing together. Uh, we should well, have. The Oilers could trade for him now at the trade deadline. Well, they could trade it. I guess they could do that. And you know what? It's probably <laughs> not <laughs> That would be crazy. Um, no, I, I mean, I, that's I, not I, on the list. So <laughs> if you want to talk about that, we can. But best, it's best on best. And that's always what it is. It's the entire country of Canada watches and it's a big deal. And um, it's been a while since we've seen it and it's super exciting. And it's, I'm glad they got this all sorted out. I'd love to know what it took and what the Olympics had to give up. We'll never actually truly know the details. We do uh, know that they are paying for the insurance. We know that. So, you know, that's the big one. That's great. I mean, I, I don't know. This is good news. I, I like it's good news until Connor McDavid like breaks a leg and then. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Ever say that again. <laughs> All right. Braden, on the same kind of topic, the other thing that was announced again, we're trying to move through this quickly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that was announced at the same time is that the NHL is going to uh, host a four nations tournament next year. Uh, cool. Again, in this February slot. Um, and the idea being that this will be a Canada, USA, Sweden, Finland international tournament, um, best on best, presumably they all play three games and then a final of some kind. Um, so over the course of two weeks, we get a, a little mini, you know, summit series style tournament. It's meant to kind of, I think, be like an, an Olympic warm up of some kind to kind of get these the, the the appetite for international hockey. But it's not a full World Cup, which we also found out they do intend to do in the off years between Olympics moving forward as well. But thoughts on this four nation cup? Is this too gimmicky? Is this something that you're excited for? What 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 are your thoughts on it? More hockey. Bring it on. I love the first, I love the World Cup thing that they did the last time. I I, I think it's fun. I think this might actually be a chance that we could see a Connor Sid thing happen. This this over the Olympics. But hey, Sid is, you know, Sid's a locker room guy. He, he he's a vet and uh would make for a great fourth line center on any Team Canada team. Um for the record, he would be younger than Mario Lemieux was when he captained the team <laughs> to gold in Salt Lake City come yeah. the next Winter Olympics. I, think. I love it. I think it sucks sort of for the teams uh for like the nations or the players of the nations that aren't involved, but at the same time like this it's just it this is a one off year. Like this it's it'll be great. It'll be great for uh It'll be great. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. On to our next uh, topic here. Um, in the continuing sort of rolling cycle of uh, punishment for the continually and clearly evident uh, doping and cheating that has happened systemically from Russian sports, uh, last week it was announced that the uh, results of the previous, the last Olympics, which were what in Korea? I think that's correct. The last Olympics were in Korea, South Korea. I don't remember. Um, the last Winter Olympics, the 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 gold medal for women's singles figure skating was awarded to a Russian athlete. She has been stripped of that medal, um, and in 
because of the doping part of it. So as a result, the team championship uh, also was affected. Um, so Russia, who obviously won the gold, was stripped of their gold, means the United States, who was in second place, moved up to win the gold. Um, Japan, who was in uh, third place, moves up to win the silver. And Canada, who was in fourth place, presumably would win the bronze, except they gave Russia the bronze instead. So my question to you, Elliot, is, is uh, the International Ice Skating Federation a legitimate organization or just a bunch of absolute quacks at this point? Uh, like these are not serious people these are not serious people uh it doesn't seem to make any sense to me i do appreciate that there was one half of that team that won legitimately but that's the price you pay for this type of thing uh and so you know i would almost prefer you i don't know no, at their quacks. It's they should tough. be disqualified outright. They, they should be disqualified for full on disqualification. I can't, I can't even <laughs> Thank you. All right, oh, Braden. Do you think they Bra- knew though? Like, do you think the Americans were like, "Yeah, no, we're going to get this gold in a few years"? Probably. <laughs> uh, Braden. Hello. The Edmonton Oilers have an opportunity uh, tomorrow night in Vegas to tie an NHL record for 17 straight wins. They have an opportunity to break that record two nights later in Anaheim. I will ask you this and only this. I don't want this question. <laughs> what is the final number the Oilers are able to extend this streak to? 22. 22. Elliot, you want to put yeah. a number down? Yeah, 16. They're done to <laughs> All right, there you go. It's got to happen. Like, like the pressure is too much. It's really exciting. It's I think it's great that they've really had such exciting. a big break because it, I think it actually took the pressure off it. I think that they now get to... and and. The, and Interesting. Wow, it's been lingering over them. No, no, no. But here's the thing: I don't think it has. These guys went to Mexico. These guys had a break. It's like starting a new chapter of a season. And frankly, the Oilers have already once extended this win streak after a break. They went into the Christmas break, I think, a game like eight of this thing, and then carried on as soon as they came back, like seven days later. We're in the exact same position here. They're rested. They're fresh. There's no lingering nagging anything i personally think it's it couldn't have worked out better for them i also love that you know they're in vegas the same week as the super bowl which is going to be an absolute circus in vegas this week to begin with i'm surprised they found hotel rooms uh they're probably playing it paying a, a, a mighty premium for that but uh i i think it, i think frankly it, it could i think it could work in their favor i just don't want them to lose to like anaheim like yeah. if you're going to extend this thing, you can't have got all of your mojo up to beat Vegas and then go into Anaheim with a chance to break the streak and just lay an egg because all of that, like momentum's over. You know what I mean? That, that would be really bad. You guys are such homers. We have to be. And well, I don't know. I, 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 I personally, you, like Ellie. they have very little evidence to show me right now that they aren't capable of winning another four or five. This team is very, very good right now. I have a question for you, Elliot. And that is, is Coach Novelcock already a Jack Adams finalist? Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that You're you can. Such yeah, a homer. The rest of the season would have to go. <laughs> You're such a homer, Elliot. No, the rest of the season is totally off the rails. I mean, like, now has anyone ever been brought in? Yes. Points in the season and won it. Yes. Who? Multiple times, actually. <laughs> really? Yeah. I think um, what's his name in Pittsburgh won it the year he took over, and then they went and won a. a, a yeah, Mike Sullivan. Uh, I, I I might be wrong. I think Bru- 
Berube, or at least was nominated previously when he took yeah. over for them. It's pretty exciting. He's got the juices going. Like that they're they're flying. I mean, frankly, who else would it be right now? I mean, I guess it's the guy here in Vancouver. He'd be the only other one. Yeah, talk it's done we'll see how their second there. half goes. Okay, let's keep going on this oh, Twitter. Tori Durizon, we got lots to go. This, this, let's talk Super Bowl. I brought it up in Vegas. I'm doing a great job pivoting. I just want to point that out to everybody. Great job pivoting. Mm-hmm. Super Bowl. We didn't have a show last week, so we didn't talk about the outcome of the championship games, and we're not going to do it today. Instead, we're just going to quickly. You're going to give me your Super Bowl pick. Who do you have? And uh, who's the MVP? So both pieces, winner of the game and MVP pick. Braden. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, I it's so hard to bet against these Chiefs at this moment. Uh, gosh, I'm gonna go with the Chiefs, and I'm gonna say that um, their MVP is gonna be Mahomes. Okay, uh, Elliot. Uh, that's what I would have said. So I'll go San Francisco, and McCaffrey's gonna have two oh. rushing touchdowns and a a reception touchdown. Holy smokes. He is so good. All right. I think uh, Kansas City wins it on a field goal at the end of the game. But I think that the MVP goes to Travis Kelsey. To Taylor Swift. Multiple. Well, let's talk about Taylor Swift. Uh, I'm so good at these transitions. Really quickly, yes or no, Taylor Swift is or is not a CIA uh, secret agent, Elliot. Huh? She's a PSYOP. No. Uh, Braden? Well, no. So, Braden, I'm sorry. Just to <laughs> confirm from your reaction to this, you have not uh, been consuming Fox News uh, in the past week? N- n- not in the past week, not in the past month, not in the past how many years? Are you aware of this story? I'm aware she's a multi-platinum Are you Grammy aware of the fact that the... Dating Travis Kelsey. Are you aware <laughs> that the mega Republicans are currently no pushing way. a conspiracy theory where they suggest no. that she is a psyop developed by the CIA she's gonna be to in convince Japan people to vote for Joe Biden? Oh my God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, the, no, I to, didn't, no, I didn't know to that. To pollute the minds of football loving Americans and turn them into snowflake Democrats. Good honor. Good honor. And I hope she keeps rocking in the free Pretty world. Sweet as she was. Okay, so Elliot. I'm going to ask you this then from your political science wow, background. That's crazy. Good or bad idea for the uh, re-election committee for Joe Biden to take <laughs> Joe Biden to a Taylor Swift concert and get footage of him out there rocking out to shake it off. Absolutely. Good or bad idea? Absolutely good. great idea. Yeah. Great idea. Okay. Yeah, it would be All really right. good. Last, last topic on our tour. Play the thing. I can't pronounce it. Tour d'horizon. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Lewis Hamilton. In maybe the biggest news concerning a transfer in the history of Formula One, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I'm being completely sincere with you. Never have we had a champion at this level. Uh, Michael Schumacher, Arten Senna, uh, any of these, any of those names that Lewis sits next to on the pantheon of great Formula One drivers has ever made a move uh, like this at this point in their career, we've seen guys when it's over, make the move to like that other team when they're still trying to hold on Fernando Alonso, actually, frankly, Michael Schumacher, who ended up at the, what then became Mercedes out of Brackley. But Lewis Hamilton announces before this season has even started that at the end of this season, so not 2024, but 2025, he will walk down the paddock and join the prancing ponies, uh, the Tifosi, uh, the boys in red, the Ferrari team that he dreamed of 
driving for as a little boy, as a huge Art and Senna fan, the team that Art and Senna also wanted to and never got to drive for. Um, Michael Schumacher's team, all of the all of the storylines you want dressed up in this. He's going to go drive for Ferrari, the most iconic racing team in the history of Formula One. They get arguably the most iconic racing driver, certainly of his generation, maybe ever in Lewis Hamilton. He's chasing that eighth championship. Uh, presumably, he believes he's not getting it here in Mercedes because I think he wouldn't have made this decision otherwise, other than the fact that they also refused to give him a three-year deal, which he wanted, and they compromised on a two-year deal, and he said, fine, I'll walk. My question to you is, does Hamilton win another championship because of this move or any other reason, uh, Braden? If Hamilton is not in a Red Bull car, I don't think anybody wins. <laughs> I just don't, I don't see it. Ha- I mean, yeah, I think it'll be fun. It'll be crazy to see him in a different color, a different car. Uh, I just don't think the cars, I mean, you know better than I at this point. I don't know all the new packages and all the new things and schematics coming down the pipe uh, that season. I just don't think from what I've seen that any F1 car has a chance at winning if you're not Max Verstappen sitting in a Red Bull. Elliot? Well, you guys know me. Long live Red Bull. <clears throat> and uh, But you know what would be a great storyline? His final year at Mercedes making a run at the championship. That would be a very interesting storyline. And I always cheer for the story. So let's go for that. But this sport is so weird that you could be confirmed for another team and before and have an entire yeah, that is sweet. That is weird. Your old one. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely so uncomfortable because now you're in every meeting and they're withholding information from you and they don't want you to know what the development pieces of the car are. And as the cars develop throughout the year, planning into the next season they're withholding that information from you like a competition issue and i think it's something they need to look at i I appreciate i know the craziness that there there's the the mid-season craziness that sort of is silly season a part of yeah silly season that's always been a part of f1 but i do think this is the kind of stuff that for me uh challenges some of the legitimacy around this sport where's carla do they do we know where carlos is going we don't okay. yet, but that's the other piece of the puzzle here is that like there are all of these other um, shoes that have to drop. So when you have a move like this announced this early, which does happen quite frequently, um, and you kind of have like a, a lame duck, let's say driver at a team who's who's finishing their contract but isn't going to remain at that club, uh, you end up often in these situations where the other driver now knows he needs a new seat he can start going and looking for that, and he's driving for it, not unlike a a, a player in a contract year. Uh, for Carlos, he's now driving to audition for every other team that will be interested in in where he is. And there will be other pieces of the puzzle to fall into place. Who's replacing Hamilton? Is it a new driver? Are they going to go get an, a seasoned driver from one of these other teams? Is it Fernando Alonso who's still chasing his, you know, another world championship? All of those pieces. Look, I told you through this whole tour, they, they play, the, play the sound of club. Tour d'horizon. Yeah, through this whole thing. That. I was really good at transitions and I promise you I have saved the best for last February 27th, the pit stop podcast returns and we will actually know what the hell we're talking about at that time. Um, Tyler, myself, we will be back to talk formula one. So if you haven't already go subscribe to the pit stop podcast, wherever you get your podcast, it will return to the end of the month. Braden Elliot, we will return before the end of the month. We're going to make sure we do at least one more episode this month. Is it Make really it a better? If you have to remind everyone how good the transition is. Yes, the transition is equally good. 
Is it as much of a surprise? No. Is it quite as slick and uh, effective? No. Do I want to point out and make sure that people were paying attention to how great it was? Yes. Is it self-serving and egotistical? Yes. And what is it really? Can you give me the definition again of tour? Yeah, give me the definition again. A broad general survey or summary. There you go. It's a summary. I just gave you a summary of my argument. All right. Let's... um, Perfect. Thank you very much. That's a great segment. We're going to definitely do that one again. Um, on behalf of Braden, on behalf of Elliot, I am Jordan Dollar Kolb. Thank you for listening. And uh, as always, please go subscribe. Uh, tell your friends about it. Do whatever you have to. That was Hydra. Hatrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dollar Coltman and Braden Dollar Coltman. And follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening. Tour d'horizon. Tour d'horizon? A broad general survey or summary of an argument or event. Okay. The Ordinary Podcasting Network wishes to acknowledge that the lands on which our conversations take place include Treaty 6 territory, the traditional meeting ground and home for many indigenous peoples, including the Cree, Dene, Soto, Blackfoot, Métis, and the Nakota Sioux peoples, as well as the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, whose footsteps have marked these lands for generations. And we extend our appreciation for the opportunity to live, create, and share stories on these territories. The Ordinary Podcasting Network intends to engage in conversations and dialogue, which acknowledge that reconciliation is not a destination, but a journey, and that we remain committed to practicing our craft in a decolonized space.